Welcome back to the Warriors podcast. Some of us ladies from this organization, we got together and we were able to reconnect, share our stories, record some podcasts, and that was really fun. It was really good for all of us to process, to get together and to say, hey, this happened to me. Hey, me too. So moving forward, I'm going to continue having a few of those ladies from the original four podcasts on these podcasts. So right now I have Angela and Amanda back with me. Thank you, ladies, for being here. And you'll likely for the rest of the Enough series hear from for sure me, obviously, and at least one or both Angela and Amanda. We'll have some other guests come on and share their stories from being involved in this organization. We'll pull some other people in. We have a few upcoming podcasts with a licensed therapist who's going to give her take on mental health and the impact on mental health that this organization has had. So we've got some really good stuff coming up. I'm excited. But today, we really felt it necessary to talk about leadership and talk about what is healthy leadership look like? When are you in influence and when are you in control? We have certainly experienced in the organization we discussed in the first few podcasts, quite a bit of control. And I think all three of us have struggled with belief systems that we have now or that we used to have based on the controlling leadership we were under what we had to wrestle through, what we've noticed in our own lives. And when we are in lead leadership positions, how that's impacted us, what we've wrestled through and what we've learned. Once again, Angela and Amanda, thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. So Angela, you were one of the top leaders, if not the top leader in the organization while Amanda and I were there, before Amanda and I got there. So can you tell us how was your leadership style influenced by the lead pastor? I was a terrible leader (laughs) and that has a lot to do with how I was being led. One thing that the pastor or the leader of the organization would always say is I keep Angela and my leaders on a short leash, meaning Anything we did, anything we said, anywhere we went, it kind of had to be approved through her. So like if we did anything voluntarily, like I would volunteer at um, a youth prison in my town. If we did anything voluntarily and we like we ever had to cancel or something ever came up and we couldn't go that night, we would have to ask permission if we could go do that. Like if like let's say there was a worship concert in the town next to us. And it was the same night as we would be volunteering to do a Bible study at the prison. We would have to ask for permission to be able to say, hey, can I please go to this, you know, worship concert in light of that? If we were not at a Bible study, so they had Bible study once a week. And if we were not there, we would often have to ask for permission or give an explanation as to why we weren't there. An example that comes to my mind would be, um, I got my nose pierced. It's a huge situation because they didn't agree with it. Not only did I get it pierced, but I got it pierced on the night I was supposed to be at Bible study. So me and a friend chose, we went and did that instead of going to Bible study. Mind you, we're adults. Yep. 
Um, but we were called into a meeting and we were made to take our nose rings out. And then we were punished and told we were not allowed to go on the next mission trip because we skipped Bible study to get our noses pierced. So it was very much a atmosphere of we, that every aspect of your life needs to be submitted to the ministry that you need to be a Bible study every, every time they have the doors are open, you need to go on all of their mission trips. And if you did it, you had to give answers as to why, and they usually weren't good enough answers mm-hmm. and they were all always challenged. So, so my leadership style was very similar, um, in the same aspect that basically just to put it all in a nutshell, the leadership I was under and the leadership I practiced was to be sold out to God. You had to be sold out to the ministry, mm-hmm. meaning sold out as in you had to attend all the meetings, do all the volunteer work, go to all of the mission trips and believe everything you were told. And that meant you were sold out to God because you were sold out to the ministry. And that was the kind of leadership we were under. And that was the kind of leadership I followed as well. And I even remember, I said this in one of the other podcasts, but I remember so many times we, all of us, are guilty of blowing up somebody's phone or driving to their house or calling them, texting them, finding out where they're at and going to get them from somebody else's house or from a restaurant, whatever, to bring them to skid practice that we would have for hours and hours and all night long sometimes before we would go on a mission trip or bring them to a mission trip meeting or Bible study. We all thought at the time we were doing each other a favor because just like you said, the leadership we were under was very much being sold out to God is being sold out to the ministry that you're in and you will do anything and everything for the ministry because the ministry is for the kingdom. So if you were skipping, you were not sold out. And a good friend was going to go and get you. And if you were in leadership, a good leader was going to go and get you. And then it was a big deal to bring other friends and your family into the ministry as well so that they too could be sold out. So yeah, that 100% trickled down into all of the leadership and then into the core of the group. So Amanda, how did you see your leadership style being developed based on the leadership in the the organization? I did not have a leadership style (laughs) (laughs) to begin with. I was very much the type that was like, throw your hands up and do what you want with my life. It was always under control. And so when I left home, it became in my control and I was not trained in control or how to manage, if you will. And so... I knew there were qualities of these people that I didn't want that were similar to. So it was basically like a totalitarianism oh. where it's like there, we are the highway. Uh-huh. There is no, there is no self-thought there. You don't even get to do input. It's just their way. And I remember, you know, when we would be in trouble for not doing the right thing, like Angela having her nose ring ripped out. 
and then being told you no longer can go on this mission mission trip because you got your nose pierced and because you did it on Bible study night. I remember those conversations were typically pretty aggressive. Like the lead pastor, you always knew when she was super mad because she would turn red, her lips would purse and there were, she would be so mad. She would spit. And I don't think it was an intentional thing. It was just, she was spitting mad and she would say very aggressive things. And so my personality is more prone to being aggressive anyway. So that spilled over into my leadership. And I remember being very militant and rigid about how things were supposed to be done. And if I say you need to be at skip practice at this time, you better not be late. So if you were late, I took a stance of being very aggressive and letting you know that you made a mistake and that you're not to do that again. And so I would bow up and I would say mean things. And I didn't, I didn't know how to use my authority and my assertiveness without having anger to back me. And that is how I noticed a lot of my leadership style spilling over. And when I left this organization, I I knew what I had experienced leadership wise was not healthy. I knew I didn't like it. I didn't want that, but I also didn't quite know what was right in a lot of ways. So it took a whole lot of trial and error for me to have to undo some of that belief system because even even to this day, I am more of an aggressive personality. So I struggle. I have to talk to myself about how to be assertive without being mean or coming across rude or abrasive. And I think all three of us can say that, but there was a lot of, okay, how do you use your authority with love. That was a huge question that I had that I researched for a long time. And I had to ask and get a lot of really hard feedback from people who would tell me at my job or in other ministry positions, like, wow, calm down. Wow. That was not nice. Or there's a better way to say that. I don't know how y'all I think, I think aggressive leadership kind of stems from the fear of not being listened to. So you immediately go to the most aggressive ability to get someone to do what you want. Mm -hmm. Influence Uh, takes years and it takes a lot of connection mm -hmm. until you reach a certain point as a leader. And then you become influential just by your name or by your, you know, your, um, your reputation. There it is. (laughs) In this, the, our our main leader, she was respected by her reputation as being a, someone that would connect you to God, someone that could provide fun and adventure, someone that had good Bible studies, but underneath was this really unhealthy need to control everyone's lives. The people that she was raising up under her did not understand, like they didn't have the same type of influence. So they had to use whatever probably was used on them to mm-hmm. hopefully that people will listen to them. And that they could get people to do what needs to be done so that they would get approval from the main leader. Yeah. And like we said before, so many of the people who came into that ministry had been traumatized. A lot of the people who came in were very broken. It was rare that you got 
someone who came from really healthy families or really healthy environment. And it happened for sure. Even at that, they were also very young. You know, we're talking about young adults who are very impressionable and they're looking up to someone who is in ministry and has been for many years. And they're going, okay, well, I'm going to trust what they're telling me is good and right. And I'm going to model that. So one of the things I, I did this for you, Amanda, because you like words and you like the definitions. <laughs> so I thought for people who are like Amanda, who really want to know the the meanings behind words, I just Googled leadership and I Googled control because we all have our own definition of what that is. But I also wanted to provide the actual definition. So leadership defined by Google is the action of leading a group or a person. It can be a position. So super simple, super open-ended, right? But control definition was not so much. So the definition of that is the power or influence to direct people's behavior or a course of events. And I thought that was an interesting way to put control because with both, you have influence, right? I mean, even in the definition of control, it says you have the power and influence. And how do you get that? You get influence through connection with people. Real influence that comes from genuine connection allows the option for choice. Just like Jesus always gives us the the power of choice and control does not provide a choice. Control. And, yeah, go ahead. Well, the power of choice would be, I, I let you choose. And then I respect your decision without any type of punishment to follow. Whereas a controlling leader will say, I, I, you're, when you hear from me, you're hearing from the voice of God. And if you do not agree with what I'm saying, then you're off or you're, and that's, terms they used a lot. You're off. Um, Mm -hmm. you're oppressed by the enemy. Um, you have, you're, you're unhealthy. You've got childhood wounds. Like there was always something to where it, it put you down to make you seem incredible. Mm -hmm. And then therefore any decision you made was not a credible decision if it was not a decision that was based on what they wanted you to make. And so there was a lot of punishment in not agreeing with them, not doing everything that they said and not going along with it. Whereas choice would have been, Hey, you don't have to agree with everything that I say. I'm not saying I get it all right, but I'm giving you a a perspective so that you can add that to your tool belt of how you hear from God and how you understand the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if we don't agree, that's fine. Our relationship is bigger than our stance on agreement. And therefore I will always put our relationship in front of what we agree on. That's so good. Yeah. And that's actually a question I was going to ask that you pretty much answered was how do you know when you're under controlling leadership and when you're under, that's not healthy. And then when you're under a healthy leadership that is full of influence. Like, where is that line? Cause there's a lot of people out there. Like I am one of them who are very black and white gray is super hard, but life is full of a bunch of gray. So I've learned to live in gray and be happy in that, but I prefer something more black and white. And, and there's really, there is that, but there's not that. So 
how do we go, okay, I'm going to take the power and authority that comes with a leadership position. And, and I believe, especially when you're in ministry, you are appointed by God, that there is an anointing and a call that is on a person's life. And they do have a special authority to speak into things in your life or in the group's life that maybe somebody else does it. But where does that line begin and end? <laughs> That's a really hard question. It is a hard question. And I don't know that we can define it, but I'm just going, okay, well, what are y'all's based on your experience, based on what you've learned from being in that organization and being out and seeing different forms of leadership, what would your take on that be? So I've been under real hands-on leadership and I've been under real hands-off leadership. And I think the leadership that has been the most healthy would be those leaders who point you in the right direction. They do provide a platform to hold you accountable, but they allow you to make your own decisions without fear of punishment or losing relationship with them. Amanda, do you have thoughts on that? I just, for, you know, my husband and I, we've grown a lot in the last just five years alone. And so what we've learned relationally with us and how we do life with our kids and how we do life with church and family and maybe family members we don't agree with and friends that maybe we don't fully agree with. um, We've just really learned that relationship above everything else is the focal point for us Mm -hmm. to remain connected. And how do you do that? you remain, we remain relatable. We remain able to connect. If there's nothing connecting, you're always going to butt heads. But as long as you have connections, it's easy. It's effortless. And so when we find ourselves with each other where we're not relating on something, something's wrong, we go into conversation about it. We're like, okay, let's find a common ground here. Even if it's, I still love you and you're still important to me. And that's the only connection that's okay. That's all that we need at the end of the day. (laughs) It does make sense. And I was thinking about, there's a podcast that I listened to. It's called the Bama podcast. And it it is not for the faint of heart to listen to it. You've got to be committed to it because it's a rabbi who takes you through the entire Bible, which is awesome. And he brings a Middle Eastern perspective that we don't really get here in the United States from a Western perspective. So it's, it's so different. I, what I loved was he was talking about the book of judges and the book of judges in the Bible is, you know, we, a lot of times we think about how, oh, it's judgment, right? It's setting up the government. It's setting up leadership and there's judging going on. And we talk about the sin cycle. And I remember that's what was preached to me growing up in church and talking about how really man, just men, um, human beings, they mess up, we sin, we're in this whole cycle and it's horrible. But this rabbi was saying the book of judges is actually such a, like an optimistic book. And it's a book that really portrays the patience that God has with us. He's like, God's patience does not run out. And this book really is preached like the doom, gloom, really hard, rigid. And he's going, actually, if you really dive into this, you're going to see that God is very aware of all the mistakes we're going to make and how many times we're going to go astray. And there's never going to be a time where he goes, okay, Liza, I've been working you 
working with you on XYZ for this long. And, and at this point, I'm tired. I'm done. That doesn't happen with God. And I think it happens with us as human beings, but that did something to my spirit when I listened to that podcast. Cause I thought, wow, we don't really preach how patient God is with how many times we are going to mess up and with how many times God is not going to like or agree with the choices that we make. But God understands that this is a journey and that everyone's background, culture, belief system, personality, everything is so different and he's willing to work with all of it. And just like you said, Amanda, maintain relationship, like relationship all throughout the Bible. Even in the Bama podcast, this rabbi talks a lot about God has a story he's wanting to tell, and he wants to tell it through his people. So there's a narrative that God is trying to get across in the Bible. And he uses people who are willing. He uses people who are teachable. And when the narrative starts becoming something that he didn't, God didn't intend for it to be, that's when God brings in correction. That's when God brings in the, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa the judgment, the justice, and it's only ever to get us back on track with this narrative that God is trying to, to tell through his people. So to relate that into leadership, I just think of so many times, and I've done this, we're all guilty of this, where you work with someone, you try and try with them, and it's not working. They keep making the same mistake or they don't agree with you or their lifestyle isn't changing and becoming the thing that you think it's supposed to be. Even if you're genuinely right and they're genuinely wrong, we can so often get to a point where we're like, that's it. We're done. We're cutting you off. Or we just start to hold on tighter and we start to use control, whether we mean to or not, in order to kind of beat that person into submission or beat the whatever out of them so that they can become what they're supposed to be. And that's not what God does ever. But we don't, don't we do that to our children. A lot of times you see parents who they have this vision of what they want their child's life to look like, right? And out of their own good hearts, they're like, I want your life to be better than mine. They basically try to control the outcome of every decision the child makes. Mm -hmm. But the goal is not to control the child and, and make the child make every right decision possible and never make a mistake. The goal is to teach the child how to navigate through the mistakes they will be making in life. And to realize that a lot of those mistakes, they, to let the child know no matter what you choose or what mistake you make, what remains is my connection with you. What is most important is my connection with you. That's what God tells us. Are there consequences to our mistakes? Of course. And some are bigger than others. Our job as leaders, as parents, as teachers, as mentors, isn't to control the outcome of those we are leading. It is to show them the possibilities of what they can become, the possibilities of the outcome, to show them God's perspective on who they are, their life, what he thinks about different things in life, what he thinks about all kinds of topics, and then let them make a decision. And we have to trust that they will make the right decision. And if they don't, then we have to leave the doors of relationship open so that we can be there when they want to repent and make the right decision. And that's not what was happening. And not at all. Not at all. This was the lead pastor hears from God. 
She decides what spirits you have that you need to get rid of, what your mental illness might be, what your behavior or why your behavior is what it is. She decides that. And then she sends out what we call sending out the dogs, which is, you know, the core, the leadership to fix that and to correct that. And it is forced in a way that they would define as loving. I don't know how many times I've heard them say, you know, you'll thank us later. I think Amanda, you said that in a different podcast, you will have a forced deliverance and you will thank me later for it. You will have a forced conversation in front of all of your peers and you will thank us later for it because we're going to call this thing out when in you, we're going to make sure that you know that you're wrong by doing what I say, you will be right and you will be taken care of. I mean, that's so the, the story that I had in just leaving this organization. That's why I had such a hard time is the leader decided that she was the only one. And Amanda, you and I talked about this. She was the only one who could fix me, who could get the demons I apparently had out of me. And I was told by her and by other members of the organization, if you leave and you still have these problems or these demons, you will ruin other people's lives or you will be raped again. And it is your fault because you didn't let the lead pastor take care of that. And then it was also kind of told to you like that nobody else is doing what we're doing here. There's a lot of that language, especially if you listen to their podcasts. In their sermons that they release, there's a lot of, you won't hear this anywhere else. We're the only people who are going to tell you this or talk to you about this. So you kind of believe, oh, this is the only leadership I'm going to learn X, Y, Z. And another belief that was told to me was, even if there's somebody else out there who can deal with you, Liza, and your set of problems, they likely won't have the tolerance to do so because you're so difficult. I'm willing to stick with you. So you better stick with me. And when I refused that, I was excommunicated and labeled a witch, a Jezebel, rebellious, because I didn't submit to their leadership. But there is that thing of that control piece of only I can fix it. And you had that, Amanda. I don't know. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but you had that story that you went through where you thought only the lead pastor can fix this. Yeah, no, it was wild looking back on that and just going over it again. It was um, my husband and I early on in our marriage. I just had our daughter and I had really bad postpartum depression. Um, we didn't know that's what that was. Of course, that's not what they were saying it was. They were saying it was the demon and I just needed deliverance. And I fought it and fought it because we butt heads a lot on stuff like that. And I'd just gotten so low that at the end of all of that, you know, without like triggering anybody, um, I'd gotten to a very low point. I had gotten to the point with my husband where he was physically fighting me for the phone and other things to try and like actually save my life. Yeah. He was finding you to protect you. Yeah. To protect me for sure. Without going into too much detail. And And so I kept you screaming at him because he, he kept telling me, I can, I can pray over you. I can pray over you. I can do that. And I kept denying him and telling him, no, you can't. It has to be this person. It has to be her. It has to be her. It can't be you. Nobody else can do this. I'm done. I'm done. And it was awful to look back on and think I literally put my life in her hands. 
And you have a husband who has been with you through extremely hard stuff. He's been through extremely hard stuff himself and was fighting for you the entire time, willing to pray for you, do whatever it took. He had already stated, Hey, look, I'm here. What do you need? What can we do? And, and you weren't trying to be mean to him. You just really believed because there was so much brainwashing that went on. You really believed only the lead pastor can fix this because your husband was full of demons. So he certainly couldn't help. (laughs) And, and the lead pastor has no demons ever miraculously. So she of course is the one who can help you. And that's what we, what we all thought. And it's so sad. And again, it's in my opinion, a reflection of the leadership that you're under, because you should be raising up leaders to be better than yourself. And when you have a subordinate who surpasses you in something that should be something worthy of praise. That's your goal is you want whomever was beneath you to burst through the ceiling that's above you. You should, if you have a deliverance ministry, if you have a ministry where you're raising up leaders, you should have a goal that everyone is going to do deliver as many times as we did freaking deliverance everyone should have been able to sit in a room by themselves, take themselves through deliverance and then just be miraculously fine. And it's a reflection of the leadership. And to piggyback off of that, I remember, so I remember when this leader actually went through a divorce. So she ended up, um, her husband ended up leaving her, unfortunately. And which I know is a really painful time because I've been there. So I understand what that was like. But I remember when she was going through it, um, the leaders quote unquote, the leaders that she had under her actually met together, met with her and they, they said, Hey, we want to know how we can support you. You know, we don't want you to have to think about having to teach or have to think about, um, leading mission trips or have to think about anything like that. We want you to be able to focus on you doing whatever you need to do to be the best you. And I remember sitting there and we had that conversation with her because everyone deeply loved her. Everyone deeply cared about her and her response. You know, she got the the tight face and stood up and screamed at the room saying, y'all aren't going to take my ministry from me. You're not going to take my ministry from me. Do not even try to take my ministry from me. This is my ministry. And she stormed out of the room. And within a year of that conversation, the ministry had gone down to maybe three or four people all of them adults, no longer college students, all of them adults, mm-hmm. all of them dysfunctional adults. And literally that became what was left of it. And at that point, no one even knew how they could help her. And these are people who had been with her for years, who had literally given the, their life to see this ministry prosper. And the perfect time had come to where they would be able to step up and say, Hey, we can take this off your shoulders for a moment in time so that you can do what you want to do to be able to, to heal from this. We see the pain that it's caused. And instead it was, you're not taking my ministry from me. Mm-hmm. Don't ever ask again. You know, I remember that because I was not invited to that meeting. And I remember being upset about it because I was in leadership. And I remember <laughs> being salty and being like, but why can't I come? That was a thing for me. And then I do remember you saying, coming back, Angela, and giving that feedback. But I had forgotten that story. My opinion in leadership, something that I've learned 
Angela, you were saying you've been in leadership that's hands-on and hands-off. I just think when you have a leader who is open-handed and just allows others to take the reins and uses that connection, that relationship to be a voice of reason and speak some truth and advise and let people fail. I've, I think I've learned there's so much value in allowing other people around you to fail and make a mistake and learn hands-on that way. And to teach people, you will mess up. You will fail. You will not do certain things right, especially if you're still learning and something's new to you, but it's what you do to recover and to fix it that it, that actually matters. And I, I've learned when, you know, leadership is really just a human being who's stepping up, taking initiative getting stuff done. A leader is still human. They don't know everything. They're going to mess up. They're going to make decisions that maybe are wrong and they're not always going to listen to counsel. I know all three of us have been in leadership positions and that's been the case. So I think there's got to be some grace for people who are following a leader to allow mistakes to be made what I've learned to really value and respect is how that leader fixes the mistake. Even if it is a huge, significant fail, even if it, it, it negatively impacts a lot of people, it's what you do to make it right that I can go, you know what? I completely disagreed with your decision, with your actions, with what you said. It was wrong. There's no way you can cut it, but man, you fixed that. And I think even your fails and how you, how you come back with humility, if you come back with humility, I think that is what gives an even greater connection or, or uh, I should say a, a bridge to connection and a bridge to even more influence. But in this case, and that's a perfect example you gave Angela, this leader is not open-handed. She's very closed fist and it is all about, I will do this. It is mine. You will follow my lead and I will do everything. And that I've never see that produce any good fruit. In fact, I would love to hear from anyone, a listener out there. If you have a different experience, I would love to hear about it because I just don't know that that exists. Well, this has been such a good podcast. There's so many more things that we could discuss, but I think this is a good one to end here. And for the listeners, you know, all three of us have gone through different leadership courses. We've read a lot of leadership books, listened to podcasts that have really changed our lives. And, and all of us have been, like you said at the beginning, Angela, terrible leaders. <laughs> and we have had to really learn from our fails a lot more than we have our successes. So I want to provide some resources for people who want them. So they will be in the notes. I'm going to have links to Amazon where you can get books. I'm going to have a few podcasts that I personally listen to that have been incredibly influential on my life. So you'll have the links to those as well. And obviously podcasts are for free. And I, I think the more we put ourselves in a position to learn, the better off we'll be. So those are there for you. Again, I love to hear from listeners who want to share what's worked for them, or maybe, maybe you've been through really unhealthy leadership and you have a very difficult time trusting leadership. Now, just know that that's not abnormal and just know that people are out there who have been through that. 
And I would just encourage anyone who struggles with leadership now to, even if it goes against everything inside of you, go and submit yourself to some form of leadership and make yourself face the hurt or the offense or the unhealthiness that you find and to sift through that and and find someone who's going to partner with you in that as well. No, I completely agree with you. And I would say that your leader is supposed to inspire you to do better mm-hmm. and they are there to show you the pers- show you God's perspective. They are not there to tell you where to be, what to do, who to marry, what to buy, how to spend your money. They're not there for that. They're there to show God's perspective on those things. And then you get to make the decision based on their input on God's perspective. And even if you don't make the des- a decision that is in light of their moral values, they should not use their relationship with you to control you or to punish you. Their relationship with you should be an open door and it should be um, something that is secure and in place and validated that you know is always there whether you make the right choice or not. Same way that God has with us. So if you're in a situation where the leadership that you're under is telling you they are using things, they're using privileges over your head. They are trying to, they're telling you, you're going to be damned. If you don't follow what they say, you're going to be, you know, your life's going to be a wreck. What we're saying is, is the truth. And if you don't follow it, if your theology is different, you, you're, you might even face hell and the wrath of God. You need to do everything we're telling you to do that. I would step back maybe and look and see, is that leadership done in love? Is it control? Do you feel free? Do you feel freedom to make the right decision? Or do you have fear of punishment if you were to make the wrong decision? And kind of use that as your guide to say, what kind of leader am I under? I think I would just leave with you really tell your leaders what you want out of them and what that looks like. So if they're doing something that you're not liking, then you need to have a conversation. And if it's one of those things where you can't have a conversation. Well, thank you so much, ladies. And I cannot wait for more podcasts. This is a good conversation.